maybe I'm just reading too much into it. Yeah. And it was just a screenplay flaw. <laughs> they didn't really iron out yet. They're Could like, have been too. They're like I mean, holy shit, we've been shooting this for 300 days. We've got to wrap this shit like, up. <laughs> we don't know why he flip-flops that much. Ah, fuck it. We, we exactly. Three and a half hours. Hey, we still got to, yeah, we got a bunch of horses over here. Fuck, we got to <laughs> move these cameras. <laughs> these horses are shitting everywhere. I got 300 guys here with shovels. <laughs> Paying them by the hour. <laughs> Welcome to a cast with no name. We are your hosts. I'm Jay. And I'm Matt. This is episode one, Monday, March 28th, 2022. And Hollywood continues to show how superior they are compared to the rest of the world. This episode, we will discuss the 2022 Oscars, or how I stopped worrying and loved the dumpster fire, as well as our feature discussion of 1962's Lawrence of Arabia. But first, Matthew. Jay. Have you seen anything good? Yes, I have. Awesome. What have you watched? Well, before we start talking, let's just say this right off the bat. Spoilers. Yes. Okay. I'm not going to say it again. Good. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) So I watched Scream 4 and Scream, the 2022 edition Scream, not the 1996 version. Okay. Yep. Uh, Big fan of the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. I like Scream a lot. I thought it was was clever, new, uh, scary, which... Horror movies nowadays aren't necessarily crazy scary anymore like they used to be. Could be because I was younger <clears throat> and more impressionable. Or it could be that horror movies just aren't scary anymore. What do you think, Jay? I've never been a fan of horror horror movies. Yeah. I, I do like suspense, like cycle like Silence of the Lambs, like Zodiac, like those st- like kind of more suspense yes. movies. I love those. Uh slasher ones I've never been a huge fan of just because I never bought the ridiculousness. Right. Of it. You're more into uh, the suspense movies. The story is the center point. The ones you're talking about, it's not the story. Oh, it's yeah. like the gore and the schlock. Yeah. It's it's, it's the it's over the center. top. It's the yeah. It's the practical effects. It's the right. It's the violence. Yep. So, yep. I think there was a term for that in the mid to late 2000s called torture porn. Yeah. Where everything that was coming out in that time, mm-hmm. the height of saw, where everything had a top saw. Everything that was coming out was top and saw. Yep. Like, you know, balls are being chopped off. And and this, <clears throat> excuse me, this doesn't have, it has that element in there, It, but it doesn't, that's not the front. It's not the, the, the centerpiece of why they're making the movie. A, mm-hmm. a lot of the reason why Scream is interesting to me is because it's, it definitely tries to be meta where it's very self-aware of itself mm-hmm. and it's taking a shit yeah. on the current current day present day like, Hollywood horror. Yeah, the tropes that and Correct. cliches that they typically use. Right. Yep. So Scream Four, uh, centered around it, remakes that mm-hmm. came out in 2011. Scream Four and everything during that period, everything horror that came out, it was a remake of anything that came out in the 70s or the 60s or the 80s. Mm-hmm. So Amityville Horror, Thirteen Ghosts, House on a Haunted Hill, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, yeah. Halloween, oh, everything yep. was just getting remade. So they took a shit on that, you know, for Scream Four. Which was, uh, it had its good parts, its funny parts, but it's not scary really. It kind of it's a victim of its own monster. Yeah. In that movie, it's it's too meta. Okay. Way too meta, and it gets kind of like, all right, I get it. So it it it, it was so self aware. It was no longer a horror film. It was a parody. A parody. Yeah. Yep. So like a parody. And uh, then it went to scary movie, which is <sighs> a parody of exactly. Scream. 
It was yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It was a it was in between scary movie and scream. Mm-hmm. That's where Scream Four resides, like that little area there. Okay. And I know it's trying to be self aware, but I want a little bit of realism and horror too, just a little bit. And the the killer in that movie ends up being Emma Roberts, who's this hundred and five pound, five foot nothing sweetheart that throughout the movie is just throwing dudes over her shoulder and splitting them in half and I'm Physics do not exist yes. in this dojo. <laughs> right. So then you're like, ah, you know. So that I watched that, and then I watched the new Scream remake, or they call it a requel. Okay. Uh, again, they're taking a shit on not even not only present day horror, but present day movies in general. Okay. Where you take an old franchise uh, and you insert new characters, but you connect them to the old Ooh, characters. Okay. The old like someone like Star Wars is a perfect example of a requel. Yep. Ghostbusters answer the call. Everything that's coming up. Which is why I hope they don't touch Back to the Future. I have a feeling that they're pushing for that. Well, not not as long as Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale are still alive. As long as they're alive, they said they would never do another one. Yeah. They own the story. Now their children, on the other hand, I'm sure can be persuaded. But right. But anyway, they take a they parody that the whole movie and they do make an attempt it's a new director now it's not Wes Craven anymore because okay. Wes Craven I was going to ask you that if it was Wes Craven again or he died at oh sh- obviously it's not him again <laughs> <laughs> Jay you bastard <laughs> didn't even know uh, he's definitely spinning in his grave I guess I guess <laughs> he uh but yeah he wasn't he died shortly after Scream 4 okay. so uh yeah but yeah the the two I can't even remember their names or I think they're they're partners uh but they did a pretty decent job. I mean, yeah, it was actually kind of scary moments. Mm-hmm. Um, their reveal of the killer was, again, two killers, and it was a five foot one, hundred and six pound girl, and David Arquette. I don't like how David Arquette died in the movie. Okay. He, so David Arquette dies in the movie, mm-hmm. and then the way he dies, and there's two killers. One of the killers is is the red herring in that scene where he's unmasked and he's with the the uh, protagonists. Okay. And the elevator escaping Ghostface. And the killer literally takes both knives, one in the front, one in the back, and like like pushes up and like splits David Arquette in like half. Hmm. The whole time I'm thinking, as the killers reveal it at the end, wait a second, I'm supposed to believe that <laughs> this little girl split David Arquette in half. You know how hard it would be for just a a dude to do that. He couldn't do it. That's a lot of shoulder strength. It's a lot. It's a lot of lat pulls. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> did, were you hoping that... Did Were you against him dying, period? Or were you... I was just going to say, David Arquette, his acting ability in that movie was the best. Yeah. The best part of that movie was David Arquette. Hands down. He was awesome. Well, not anymore. I was sad to see him go. He was gone. But overall, I would say uh, it was, you know, entertaining... I would give it a watch. It was better than Scream 4, which I don't know if that's saying a whole lot, but mm-hmm. it's saying something. Uh, but I would recommend it. Yeah, give it a shot, and it's pretty good. It's good okay. for like a $5 rental or however however much movies are going these days. Yep, nice. It was entertaining. Cool. How about you, Jay? Did you watch anything kind of um, piquing your interest? currently watching Winning Time. Is that the one with uh, John C. Riley? Yes. And about the Lakers dynasty? Yes. Right. So... It's yeah, winning time, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. It's currently on um, HBO. I finished episode four, uh, which there's only four episodes out right now. 
and finished episode four before you actually came over. Um, But I enjoy it. Um, I'm not a huge sports person, but I do. I like movies about sports. Um, Why? Why do you like sports movies if you're not into sports? Because I can enjoy the sport lazily. I don't have to move (laughs) the. uh, uh, But this kind of I mean, we're four episodes in and we've just we're not even at the season yet. Uh, basketball so it's um i think training camp just finished okay so how many episodes is it like 10 uh, i think 10 is in this season and it it looks like it's supposed to be multiple seasons i'm assuming because Mm. the speed at which they're progressing unless they do some kind of huge time jump um the first episode starts with magic johnson johnson sitting in a doctor's office in 1993 91 and he gets some news in a doctor's office which wonder what that could be what and could it be <laughs> don't know right and, um was he injecting himself with large amounts of concentrated cash <laughs> he, he is now <laughs> um but so that's where it starts and then it jumps all the way back to uh, i believe right after the ncaa championships with him and larry bird and larry mm. bird just got drafted the or um it's noted that larry bird's probably going to be going to the celtics and it starts with um magic johnson uh talking with uh the new owner of the lakers uh Dr. jerry bus jerry bus um but it shows him purchasing the team what he had to give up uh, so it talks a little bit about that as far as the business background but i like it it's um it's showing a lot more as far as the businessy side of it or like the off the court story uh which i enjoy um so it's focusing more on off the court stuff for now yeah okay so it's not it's not like a basketball porn to where it's just dudes playing basketball all right. the time it's more about the characters okay um, and more about the uh, front office as opposed to i mean yeah it does have some players as characters but other than magic johnson right now there's not really I mean, it's mainly uh, Dr. Buss and uh, his front office staff, his daughter, his mother. and So it's not centered around Magic Johnson uh, particularly? No, nah, I mean, he is one of the main characters um, in the story, but it's it just hasn't delved into on right. the court playing. Well, you're only yet. on episode four. Yeah, correct. Okay. So once the season starts, I'm sure it's going to be more uh, during game yeah stuff but who plays larry bird do you know uh i do not he's only in i think like a minute or two i don't even know if they showed him i don't know if they showed him with archive footage or not because Ah. there's it it probably is an actor but the way they present it uh it's cut like a very late 70s style presentation so they use a lot of heavy film grain uh filters over the footage so it looks date like it looks like dated footage, like someone was walking around with a uh, a camcorder or film, a sixteen millimeter uh, film camera at the time. Um, but I enjoy the presentation of it. The um, they'll pull you out somewhat because they do break a lot of fourth wall. Oh. Um, characters will turn to the camera and just talk to you, talk to you. So it, mm-hmm. it feels very much like an Adam McKay movie. Um, because like, he, he created it, right? He's or is he directing it? He directed one episode. Right. Um, and he's one of the executive producers for five episodes. Mm. Um, so I don't but there's like 19 other producers on there. So I don't and he's only listed as an ex- executive producer. He didn't create it. Um, it was created by the guy who wrote Godzilla versus King Kong. Um 
Mark Bornstein, I believe his name is. Huh. But um, but you feel his that kind of style that he had at least with uh, "Don't Look Up," right? And um, like Vice and yeah, yep. Some uh, of that they break in the fourth wall. Big letters going up. The big so, short. Yeah, uh, characters will say something, and then big CG characters uh, letters words will pop up gotcha. on the screen saying "Ah, future billionaire" yeah, or yeah. "No, he didn't" and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So, but it's fun. Um, I enjoyed so far. Um, they're releasing them every week on HBO, but I think it's worth watching. It's fun. cool. So yeah, I I know nothing about basketball, and I know nothing about the Lakers. And I still enjoy it. Right. So, um, well, that's what good that's what good sports movies slash dramas do. Yeah. You it, don't even care. It reminds me of a more exaggerated version of Moneyball a little mm. bit to where you have a head coach that is trying to create a new way of playing. A new business model. Yeah. New business yeah. model, new way of looking at things. Um, and you have an owner who's looking at a new business model as far as what the experience is going to one mm. of these games when the NBA was dwindling down as far as popularity. I like it. I think you sold me. Yeah. I kind of want to watch it now. Pretty good. Mm. So, all right. Oscars 2022. Ah. Did you watch the Oscars? I did not, Jay. I caught an hour of it. I had the last part of it. So I think I started watching it. Are we good at this if we're doing a movie podcast and we don't even watch the Oscars? <laughs> I used to. Every year, I would be super excited about it. Yeah, I'm with you. And as I got older, I just got tired of the bullshit. It's it's kind of it's kind of the the running theme nowadays. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, everyone's aware of this. That's why no one watches the Oscars anymore. So I know. It's and quite why the astonishing. ratings have gone down. However, uh, the one of the the key moments of the Oscars, I, th I think, I think we're going to have to talk about yeah, this, right? Yeah, let's just the talk whole, about the it. The whole first. world is just just enveloped in it. It's yeah. amazing. If you're watching it, this any time recently since this has been uploaded, uh, you're aware that the whole world is talking about this. If you're listening to this ten years later, why? Uh, but more importantly, you may not remember, but uh, everyone is off their minds right now because Will Smith slapped the shit out of Chris Rock after Chris Rock. Uh, he slapped Little Penny. Yeah. Slapped him right in the face. Um, but yeah, so that happened. And I, I'm still on the fence. I, I have two opinions. And one opinion is it's staged because yeah. I remember some years ago during the MTV Movie Awards, Bruno or Borat, the character, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, came down from the rafters and he was on a cable suspension thing. And there was a mess up, quote unquote, of the cable suspension thing. He comes down and lands in a 69 position on Eminem. I remember this. And Eminem, yeah, yeah, yeah. what? He gets all pissed off, throws him off, hits him. And then him and his crew get up and leave the show. And everyone lost their minds. Like, oh, did you see the prank that blah, 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 threw on Eminem? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I remember the very first time I saw that, I was like, that's staged. Sure. That's staged. Because, one, obviously they knew it's going to happen. They have rehearsals for these shows. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And... They're not going to like that. They're yeah. not going to let Sasha Baron Cohen go to the top of the rafters and hook exactly it up and, yeah. because what if he accidentally falls right. 30 feet? 
and lands on Eminem and you killed two or seriously injured two celebrities. Sure. You're not going to have that. No. Um, no one's going to risk that. So I was like, nope, that's staged. You're like, no, Eminem was mad because he hit him and blah. I was like, nah, mm. staged. Eight years later, however long, they're like, oh, yeah, it's staged. And some people were like, oh, and I'm like, fucking serious? Yeah. It's an award show. Everything is scripted, which right. makes me say this is scripted. Right. Because jokes are written ahead of time. Mm-hmm. They have writers for these shows. They rehearse these shows. Who knows? Maybe they tell Chris Rock, hey, yeah, go out there, riff a little riff bit. Yeah. You're, you're good. You're a professional. You've hosted several times. Just go out there, riff. Yeah. Do what you want. I doubt that happens, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. For Will Smith's sake, I really hope that you're right, Jay. Because I do too. I love me some Will Smith. Uh, but my God, my respect for him just plummeted. Yeah. Plummeted. If, he, if it is real, let me, I would, I'll do the counterpoint to that. Yes. I think you, you could be right. You, it, it sounds plausible. Anyway, if you didn't hear the actual audio from, like you said, Japan or Australia where they didn't censor it out, I, it would make more sense to me that it was staged mm-hmm. because if you don't hear that, then it's staged. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. But when you hear him, he must be, I mean, he is a great actor. But he's playing up his anger pretty hardcore in those audio clips where, you know, take my wife's name out your effing mouth. And yeah. I'm like, wow, that guy is especially yeah. the second time he says it. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Rock's reaction to it isn't like, oh, yeah, this is normal. It, it's like that awkward. It's like, OK, I will. OK, okay. I promise I will. Yeah. And this is after you get slapped, by the way. Yeah. I will. I will. I, I got to give it to Chris Rock, though. He took if it isn't staged. The man is very professional and, and yeah. he handled it in a classy didn't, way. Didn't press charges. I know. Handled it in a classy way. So now let's assume yeah. it is real. Sure. I mean, several things just come to mind. One, you're at an awards show. You're sitting front row. You're nominated for Best Actor. Have you seen the Oscars? Are you aware <laughs> comedians come out and they just kind of <laughs> poke fun at all the Oscar nominees and people sitting with them and, and all that? Two, you're in the limelight. Your wife is in the limelight. Yep. If you don't want, you can't take a joke. I get it. She has alopecia. She's not going to die. Yeah. She's not dying. She doesn't. Normally when a comedian, when you want to take offense to a, com- a comedian, they're punching down with their jokes. Mm-hmm. Like for example, the Nanny professor, when Dave Chappelle's character comes on stage and he's just punching down on Eddie Murphy when he's Professor Clump. He just mm-hmm. fat joke after fat joke, just mean spirited. Yeah. Like just mean you feel for the guy. That joke to me was like a throwaway line to fill some time, maybe get yep. a chuckle because it wasn't even that funny mm-hmm. because it wasn't even punching down. Yeah. G.I. Jane, by the way, if anyone hasn't seen that movie, it stars Demi Moore and it's about the first woman Navy SEAL to go through Bud's training. She's a badass and she's hot in it, by the way. It's Demi Moore. So to me, it's not even an insulting joke. Yeah. So and that coupled with his reaction, there's something deeper going on there. I don't know what it is it's for you to get so angry after such an innocuous. Absolutely. Non-joke. There is some serious, and I think everyone is seeing this and realizing it is that there's something wrong in his life if sure that just erupted at that moment. But he was laughing beforehand. People are like, Oh, well maybe he didn't understand it was a ball joke. 
when people say G.I. Jane, people think bald Demi Moore. Sure, yeah. And Jada was just kind of rolling her eyes. But the thing that gets me, there's so many different ways he could have handled that. Sure. If he was actually trying to defend her honor, he could have sat there and just had a stone face instead of laughing. It's very true. Good point. Any one of the 20 steps to 25 steps it took him to go from his seat to Chris Rock, he could have thought of something to say yes. other than hitting him. Yeah. Any one of those 25 steps, he could have stopped and then went back to his chair and yeah. sat down. Said, what am I doing? Yeah. Any, any, like anything would have been better than that. Yeah. I mean, when emotions are high, your intelligence is low. So, <laughs> but it's not acceptable. I mean, for yeah. somebody, I, I, I just, I, I lost respect for him uh, if it is real. Yeah. And it was just a gross situation. But the simple fact that people are defending him are like, oh, that, well, he's defending his wife's bullshit. Yeah, I agree. Sticks and stones. Grow yes. the fuck up. Fucking, did you go home in your house and cry yourself to sleep on your fucking money bed and like wipe away <laughs> the tears away with your, with your $100, $100 bills. bills and your Oscar? Did you snuggle up with that? <laughs> like, I would have kicked his ass out. I'm surprised it didn't. Knowing he would have won your 15 years of work, what you worked up for this whole time. You don't get that you moment. Would, you do not get that moment. Yeah. Good job. We'll send it to you in the mail. Peace. Done. Like that would it. have sent two messages. One, uh, you don't fucking do that. Two, the Academy actually has standards. Standards. Hollywood <laughs> in general has some kind of integrity. Because yeah. for the past four years, every single celebrity has been coming out saying, oh, all these bad people, all these people are just allowing these bad things to happen. Well, guess what? You had an entire stadium of people watching that go down and not one, one person, person <laughs> said fuck off. And then here's what makes it even worse, right? So his acceptance speech is the reason why I don't watch the Oscars anymore. I can't do it anymore. I'm going to have an uncontrolled fit of rage and violence. And then I want to be a vessel of love. No one can be that self-absorbed and narcissistic. Every, even in his speech, he said me and I 18 to 20 times. Mm -hmm. Me, I, vessel of like this just crazy, just He gets grandiose. a standing ovation for it too. Yes, got it. Just grandiose just waxing poetically and he's so profound with his thoughts and i just can't do it anymore yeah. every acceptance speech is like that and that's not how it used to be mm -hmm. one one example that comes to mind which you don't like him his name's russell crow when mm -hmm. he won for gladiator that year uh <laughs> I like by the way jay hates him some russell crow <laughs> i does do. not like him hate him but again but, i'll always watch la confidential oh, that's a great movie <laughs> But his acceptance speech when he won Gladiator was like this one of those moments that you're like, okay, I I love watching that because he talks about his grandfather, uh, and then he caps it off with, you know, if you're growing up in the suburbs of Auckland in the middle of nowhere and you're on the downside of advantage, just know that it's possible. Mm -hmm. Like that's it right yeah. there. Yep. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. That's that, why people want to watch. Exactly. There's hope. Yep. Right. You worked really hard to get where you are. The, the stars aligned, you made something special that people like to watch, and then you just, you know, you talk about that. Yeah, it's feel-good moments. You, you're right. watching a culmination of years and decades of work right. and people achieving their dreams. 
and it didn't used to be, and maybe it was, and I just don't remember it. The Oscars was never really, it had politics in there here and there sprinkled, but it wasn't overtly political to where normally, you know, you have to have some balance, you know, you shit on the liberals, you shit on the conservatives. Everyone's having a good time. You point out the obvious. Now it's strictly shitting on conservatives and it's, political in nature like aggressively political and i don't enjoy that anymore and i don't know i i've never watched old i mean i've watched them for years but i don't know if it's just because when i was younger i'd watch them and i just didn't pick up on it i Mm -hmm. always kind of remember like whatever award they won whatever their movie had to do with they'd always say oh this is my new cause for for a week that's always been there a little bit yeah yeah um yeah i don't know if it's always been there or not so I I mean yeah. I do notice it it has been drastically increasing for I mean in the past 12 10 years for sure um which could just be because the internet clips people mm-hmm. can rewatch all this stuff and it's like oh well if I want to say my opinion I can say it and then it'll be replayed and yeah. I can make a yeah more I, of an impact I, but. but those moments of genuine just humbleness mm-hmm. and not thanking yourself or having profound uh profound revelations of how awesome you are and how deep you are there's something uh grossly narcissistic about it that i just can't stand and the last genuine moment i can think of was when olivia coleman won uh like three or four Mm -hmm. years ago yeah you get that just that she's just like this sweetheart and Mm -hmm. she's talking about her husband and like her kids go to bed this is never gonna happen again you know she's very genuine it's like moments like that yeah. that you want to watch it because mm-hmm. when you see the humanity in people, right? Which I guess <laughs> we we still did. I guess. <laughs> yeah, we saw the ugly side. Yeah, but yeah, I'm going through some mental issues. But yeah, just with that whole thing, yeah. just the hypocrisy of everybody in that fucking room. I know. It's like shut up. None of you can fucking talk. Like I, they live in a different dimension, Jay. I mean, it's a different dimension nowadays. Good on Chris Rock for you. Yeah. You could just tell. Yeah. There was probably eight or ten things that were just going through his head that he could have just said just to really fuck up his day. Oh yeah, I always had this this uh, suspicion that Oscars the the winners of the Oscars aren't they're not voted for or won they're cast they cast the winners now and since those rules came out last year where you have to have you know this uh, you have to have an X percentage of females and people of color in in both the uh, uh, behind the scenes and in front of the screen in order to even be nominated is just further proof that, all right, this is just, inside. it's not for the art. It's for, it's for just the, statements. Yes. It's for the perception. Yeah. It's not for the substance, which is disheartening and it's kind of, yeah, it sucks, but, it, and that's not to say that the movies still aren't good. I, yeah, I, I mean, mean, they're, I'll, I'll probably watch Coda. So yeah, Coda one, right? Yep. Coda one best picture. Did you, have you heard of it since it was nominated for an Oscar? I didn't either. It, it, is it on Apple? Apple. Okay. That's, that's I don't have I, Apple. So. I don't have Apple either. So yeah. um and I saw Power of the Dog. Yeah. How was that? It was, you know, it's well a well-made movie. Mm-hmm. Performances are great, but it it wasn't saying much. No. I don't know what I didn't understand what the purpose of the movie was. Okay. I didn't get I know it was like toxic masculinity or uh just the threat of just a just an overbearing character that just controls and sucks out the oxygen of a room and like the abusive emotional nature of benedict cumberbatch's character he was i guess um, like he went up and he would play his banjo to be intimidating okay and he was 
he didn't seem crazily aggressively abusive to the point where you're just terrified of the man. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like he was an asshole. Okay. And you can deal with an asshole. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, I just didn't feel like he was the type of character that you would just be terrified of all the time. Mm-hmm. So it just didn't hit there for me. Gaia. I could be wrong. Okay. You can watch it yourself and see what you think. But yeah, I'd like to watch it. I, I love Westerns. Um, and a lot of them don't come out very often. So typically anything that comes out, I'll yeah. try and watch. But it's on Netflix. So yeah. everyone has that. Yep. It's there for so. you. But the only one I, I had seen, I think, is Dune. I've seen that all the way through. And Dune is very good. Mm-hmm. Very good movie. That's another reason, Jay, that I have a problem with the Oscars. So Dune won six awards last night. Yep. Six. Like production design, sound, editing. It's like, okay. Obviously, whoever's directing this mm-hmm. is doing a fantastic job. Best director. <laughs> no, it's not Denis Villeneuve. No, nah, he didn't win. Okay, well, all right, best picture. Did he already win nah, one? No, nah, they didn't win best picture either. Um, What's the record for most awards won without winning best picture? <laughs> Dune's got to be up there. <laughs> Dude, I feel like... We that. won nine awards last night. Oh, how how does it feel winning best picture? Ah, we didn't we didn't win best picture. Nah, nah, just just couldn't take home the gold. Well, to cap that this whole thing off, I hope Will Smith would. I hope the whole thing was staged. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it is too, because it doesn't make sense if it was real. It doesn't other than some underlying issue that he's dealing with. Which, yep. if he is, get some fucking help, man. If if there is no underlying issue and you're just a dickhead. Mm, fuck off i guess yeah you're just a victim of your own ego yeah i guess it happens you know you do you are a hollywood actor yeah you've been in the business forever now now oh, well shit happens yep kudos to chris rock for keeping his shit and i agree not embarrassing himself yeah i probably would have definitely embarrassed myself jay i think if someone smacked me i would have <laughs> i would not, I would his not ass. have the control <laughs> I charged right at him of course, I'm only four foot eleven, so it would have been hilarious <laughs> me trying to take down a fifty-five year old. But I would have tried. Yeah, I would have tried my darndest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right. Anything else about? Oh, what was your favorite movie of twenty twenty one? I was gonna say we were, we were talking about this earlier. Not a lot of movies came out last year to choose from, but I'm gonna say Dune. Okay, it, it's a. I kind of want to watch it again, yeah. like as soon as possible. It's so good. I wish I would have saw it in IMAX. I regret not going to see an IMAX. The um, well, cross your fingers that when part two, because it's it's sh- it should be two parts, two parts. Okay, yeah. so it, hopefully when part two comes out, they play yeah. part one and part two. Yeah, in IMAX, and you could have like a whole oh, I would half day. Be fan. Oh, that'd be so good. How long that sweet sweet what just time be? Now? That'd be like six hours. <laughs> it would be. Goddamn miniseries just up on the screen. Uh, mm. Stadium seating. I love it a lot. Uh, seven millimeter. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'd say Dune. Okay. Dune's up there. Cool. Uh, I would say for me, my favorite thing that came out last year is not a movie. Uh, it's Midnight Mass. That's a great pick. And I like that. I Again, I'm not into horror. Mm-hmm. But I am into suspense. That's right. And storytelling. So wow, what a segue! Yeah. I am impressed. Yeah. Wow. The um, see, how, see what he did there. But I watched. Um, so we watched uh, Midnight Mass is recommended to us. 
plowed through it, I think, in like two or three days. Yeah, so do we. Thought it was great. Um, but that turned me on to other, the guy's name I'm uh, spacing on. Um, oh, God. Yeah, the guy who did Dr. Sleep. And yeah, Dr. Sleep, the, which we had seen. Yeah. Um, and then, but he also did The Haunting of Hill House. Mike, uh, Mike Flanagan. Flanagan. Yeah. And so I just went down that rabbit hole. Yeah. Good hole to go down. Uh, it was so good. Now he's my, he's becoming. He's a great, he's awesome. my new favorite. Oh, he's got a new thing. Great. I'm going to watch it, exactly. whatever it is, because he, he does a very good job of characters. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of the reason. Another reason why I wasn't too particularly fond of horror is that they didn't that like the slasher movies. They didn't bring out those characters as well. They didn't really concentrate on which Mike Flanagan does series. Um, yeah, more episodes. You can dive into that more, but yeah, went into that rabbit hole, loved it. I thought it was great. Um, and we he watched, lets, he lets the characters breathe. Yeah. He'll let a scene go, which I love like long takes like horror movies nowadays that they, they're just going to the next jump scare, which mm-hmm. is annoying sometimes. And to go back on screen that did that here and there, but Fl- Flanagan lets like the scene breathe. And then he flashes out like he focuses on the dialogue yeah. between and it's it's impactful dialogue. The dialogue means something, yep. which I appreciate. And then he'll shift the camera a little bit or the lighting will be a little bit different. And then the scares there and you die. You don't even expect it, mm-hmm. which makes it so. Yeah, I like awesome. yeah his long takes his letting the characters be a character. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't like this about Midnight Mass is that uh, you had those long Yes, those long takes. But I mean, I, I, loved, I loved it, it because it, yeah. it felt kind of like a stage play a little bit mm-hmm. to where uh, with the cats showing up on the beach in the beginning of episode two, you I think you got a 10 minute take. Yeah. The camera just walking. Everyone's on their cue. I mean, just the production quality is awesome. The timing is great. And I uh, did the same thing with uh, Haunting of Hill House. He did a lot of that uh, yep. longer takes. But I, I love it when it, when you're just watching it and a character starts talking and I was like, Oh, is this going to be long? And then the camera just slowly starts to push in. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is going to be like a nice, nice little soliloquy. Nice this is yeah. a five minute monologue we got going yeah. on here. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, uh, that was probably my favorite thing. If I had to pick a movie, um, I mean, I, re- I didn't really watch that many movies last year. I mean, well, I, I mean, to your, to your, there wasn't a lot that came out. Really. Yeah. I mean, I watched uh, No Time to Die. Uh, I watched Still haven't seen that. Uh, Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Uh, no Way Home. Um is that it? Yeah, No Way Home. Yep. Home, Homeward Bound. Uh, the Incredible Journey. The Incredible Journey. Yep. I think there were talking dogs in that one. Mm-hmm. There's everything else. Yep. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, and those movies were fun. Yeah. Um, Good times. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I would say Midnight Mass. I agree. My favorite thing that kind of. TV wise, that is pretty, that was solid, yeah. solid pick. And if nothing else, just because it opened my eyes too and made me take notice of mike flanagan for a genre that i never really pay much attention to because i'm biased and i'm like ah no i'm not gonna like that but i'm glad i saw it because he's a great writer yeah it's fantastic yeah so in all of his actors that he gets his little stable of actors awesome yes henry thomas i know who knew Elliot can have some acting chops well i knew i i didn't even (laughs) know it was him for like the first i was like why does he look so familiar That's right. He's from your childhood. Yes. (laughs) Elliot. So uh, really quick, uh, we did Lawrence of Arabia. And we want to talk about this because neither of us had seen it. It 
currently stands on AFI at number seven. Mm -hmm. And IMDb top 250 movies, 94 with a rating of 8.3. So, but uh, to give you guys quick background, hopefully if you guys are listening to this podcast, you're listening because you've seen Lawrence of Arabia and you're wondering what two assholes have to say about it. Right. Or you have a desire to watch Lawrence of Arabia (laughs) and wondering if you should spend the 228 minutes to watch Lawrence of Arabia. Nearly four hours long. Yes. Yes. Sweet, sweet runtime. Yes. I appreciate long movies. So, so didn't bother me. Lawrence of Arabia uh, came out in 1962. Uh, A restored version came out in 1989. 228 minutes, directed by David Lean, uh, who also directed the movie Bridge on the River Kwai, as well as others. Stars Peter O'Toole, Alec Guinness, and Anthony Quinn. Lawrence of Arabia is the story of T.E. Lawrence, the the English officer who successfully united and led the diverse, often warring Arab tribes during World War I in order to fight the Turks. Matthew. That was a good synopsis. Thank you. You're yes. I've ripped it straight from IMDb. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I spent all night on that thing. Um, it took me all fucking night. <laughs> Goddamn day. <laughs> General thoughts, impressions. Uh, right off the bat, I, I, I have to say that they don't make movies like that anymore. Nope. Not anymore. I was just... Uh, I, I'll just say it. I loved it. I thought okay. it was a great movie. It just the way and I say they don't make movies like that anymore and we can get into it too, but just it's everything is all at location in the desert and there's so many people, so many logistical nightmares that are just going to my head thinking how the hell did they shoot that? One one scene in particular, uh Lawrence is doing guerrilla warfare on the train tracks. There's a scene where they stop a train and it's it's literally like a quarter mile of, of horses on a train. And then they all, they all uh, open the gates up and all the horses jump out and run across the desert. I'm like, how the fuck are they? How do they organize that to do one shot? Because if they do take two, you have to get all those fucking horses back up and then do it all over again. That could take. Uh, we're not going to do that today, folks. We have to set it up again for tomorrow. And that's just one scene that lasts maybe 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And those scenes are strung together for four hours. Yeah. It's crazy when you go to this first encampment and you see the amount of tents. And I, I was watching very closely in the background and there was no map paintings. Right. I mean, there was no, I mean, it was like, you see dust blowing in the distance. You see people walking in the distance. You see horses or camels in the distance. You see tents flapping. I mean, just the amount of people and the scale that they had and yeah, they don't make movies like that anymore. No, it's they just, never will. Jay, yeah, they'll never make a movie like that And that's so sad because the amount of just the logistical nightmare of creating that oh, yeah. is... I, watching it just for that alone, is I think enough. is... Yeah. It's enough, for sure. Um, if, you, if you can appreciate that, and it's beautiful to look at. Oh, yeah. The shots in it are just amazing. Like that iconic shot where, where uh, O'Toole blows the match mm-hmm. and it goes straight into the the sunrise of yep. the desert and you got like the score and that's another thing the first thing i i, I uh attached to the, the movie opens with the score i i'm gonna i can't believe i don't remember the guy's name who wrote the score it's 
fucking awesome. I think there's several. It's people such there. a good score. Like I immediately downloaded it on iTunes, and I'm like, ah, it just it just it, after you watch the movie, and then afterwards when you listen to the score, it brings you back, and you feel like you're in the in the fucking desert. Mm-hmm. That's how good this thing is. The yeah, there's. <laughs> I'm an idiot. The uh, <laughs> let me tell you why. The first four minutes. Four minutes and twenty two seconds. I I took notes as I watched. Sure, and then I put in, put down some notes after, after I had some watched, time to, to think about ruminate it and yeah. kind of get my thoughts together. But so I I played the movie. Yeah, and black screen audio. Yes, and I'm like, okay, something's wrong with my streaming service. That's what I thought too. Because thank you. That, I, I that's feel, that's I what feel. happens, and I'm like. <laughs> God damn it. I was like, do I have to restart the Roku or something like that? So I fast forward a little bit. It was like all black. I'm like, ah, Jesus. All right. Yeah. Hold on. Turn, exited out of the app, went back into it. Did it again. It's like, God, it's doing it again. So I'm just fast forward. That time I went all the way and then I was like, oh, okay. It's not my, it's not your imagination. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. yeah, You're good. It's not the, it's not my box. It's, it's, it's just the movie. It's intentional. Yeah. Yeah. it, It is. And, um, but yeah, so that, that I thought the same. I thought the same. I did the same thing. Yeah. I literally was like, "What the what the fuck?" And then I'm fast forwarding it through, and then I see the Columbia sign. I'm like, "Oh, okay, yeah. all right, I'm good now." Yeah. Did you watch the whole four minutes and twenty two seconds? I did. I did too. I did. I'm a nerd. Yeah, and so uh, still, this is not spoiler or anything, but uh, there's also an intermission in this movie. Yes. Same thing. Black screen music, which. Have you ever been to a movie theater where they had an intermission? I haven't yet. Yeah. I've been to one hmm. and it was Gettysburg when it came out Ooh. in the early nineties. My father took my brother and I, and that when the inter when the big letters intermission yeah. happened, like that was the first thing I flashed back to because I remember sitting in the theater intermission coming up and I was like, what, what does that mean? I was like, Oh, go get more popcorn, right. take a break, go to the bathroom. And then it'll start in 10 minutes. I was like, huh, but made note of that just because that I was like, oh, I forgot about intermissions, yeah. which, but I've only experienced it once. But, but yeah, so you have four minutes of black screen, four and a half minutes at the beginning, four and a half minutes in the middle. And I was like, well, that's about nine minutes yeah, of runtime. So we can subtract that. Subtract so that it's out. not actually, <laughs> I mean, it's about three forty, three hours and 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you got some, you can fast forward. You're just missing the score, but it kind of yep. gets you in that. Listening to the score, at least the first four minutes, just kind of puts you in the mood. Yeah. Um, does yeah. a very good job of like just telling you what kind of story you're going to be watching. Yes. Um, just w- from the It's going to be epic. Yeah. Yes. That's what they want to, they want to get that epicness across. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, I got to say first impression too. I know I understood immediately why this was like an all-time classic. When you're watching the movie, if you don't think... Raiders of the Lost Ark or Spielberg, then you just you're just not a movie mm. fan. I instantly thought this is like a scene out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. The way that the characters are like interacting with each other and how they're spaced apart, how the camera moves. I'm just like this Spielberg like ripped this movie off when I'm watching Raiders of the Lost Ark now. <laughs> I, I, I went into this movie not knowing with knowing as little about it as possible. Yeah. I did I was aware because you'd mentioned that this is Spielberg's movie. Yeah. You can definitely get his flair for scale. Yes. Of why this is his favorite movie. Yes. Because even though it's, this is an older movie, it's a little bit slower paced, but the scale, the epicness of it is what Spielberg, I think was drawn to drawn to this movie and then took with him with 
every single movie he made. Yeah. Um, but let I, I want to get into the details. Let's dive in. Do you recommend it? I do. Okay. You should watch it. I, yeah. I mean, at least it's, watch it's, it. It's really good. I'm not going to watch it probably more than... No. More, I mean, once is enough. Maybe you put it on if it's like a comfort movie or something, but right. um, it, it's worth watching. Yeah. If it was, uh, honestly, if they were to re-release it to like IMAX or something, I, I would go see I, it. Yeah, I would re-watch it. I would it definitely do that. At, in a theater, definitely. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. It's definitely worth it. So uh let's dive into it yeah so uh go watch it if you haven't seen it if you have seen it then uh hang with us and we'll continue to make fools out of ourselves that's right <clears throat> first i'm gonna preface this i did not know this was based on a true story you didn't i didn't i knew that at least. now listeners you may be wondering how the hell do you not know that it wasn't based <laughs> on a true story like one of my friends said you didn't know it was based it wasn't based on a true story i was like no, because I grew up in, in America, America. <laughs> and this is about a British, a officer. British officer two years during World War One. Yes. Yeah. That didn't involve America. It's so. fair. And then they said, well, didn't you take world history? And I was like, yes, but we didn't concentrate <laughs> 18 months in the Jordan Desert or wherever the fuck. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't concentrate on the Arab revolt yeah. when, we, when we talked about World War One. Yeah. So. All my notes while I was watching this is in the guise of I thought maybe, oh, maybe this is a true story because it says in the description it says about the British officer T. E. Lawrence. I was like, what is a book character or I, it could have been a fictional book. I don't know. Oh, so you got you had that impression all the way up to starting it. Yes. Wow. OK. I thought like you didn't know, like uh, uh, when we finished talking about it last week, it was, you, you didn't know until. The moment you're going to start watching it. I didn't know until after I finished watching it. Because <laughs> then, then, then I started going through trivia and I was like, oh, shit. Oh, God, this guy's a real person. I was like, oh, fuck. All right. Yeah, I'm a dummy. Um, so anyways, but the openings uh, when they when Lawrence is uh, taken from the map room and he's told, OK, you're going to go to this village yeah. or this uh, encampment and you're going to be talking to the prince. Uh, on his way there, he has a guide with him. And one thing that I noticed and that I really liked that they did a very good job was the sense of exposure and lack of cover. I mean, obviously from oh, the sun, but there's nowhere to hide. Uh, when they stopped at the well and he ran into Sharif, um, Sharif Ali um, approaches and shoots his guide. Uh, because he was drinking out of his well, his clan's well. Yeah. Um, that whole scene, you just see somebody off in the distance coming. And the, there's nowhere to go. Where, where are you going to go? It's one of the best scenes in the movie. And it's so good. Very good. Um, it reminded me of uh, like the good, the bad and the ugly. Where, again, I don't know if this is older movies or we were just talking about Midnight Mass and how it's it takes its time. Mm -hmm. It just it's literally a giant mirage shot of the guy coming towards them that are they're, they're drinking from the well and it's just cut, cuts back to them and they're just standing there like yeah. you're right. Where do we go? Yeah, can't go anywhere. We're can't like, well, we, I guess we got to wait uh, and see what happens. Let's hope it's just one guy. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was waiting for like a bunch of horses to come behind mm -hmm. him, but it was just one guy. But great great shot mm -hmm. yeah uh but I, I i like that sense as far as and i i didn't know if that was going to be a running theme that's why i made a note of it to where i didn't know if it was just going to be sense of exposure as yeah. far as like there's nowhere to go yeah because you're, you're traveling this whole time but if you 
have any kind of conflict or if there's any kind of, there's nowhere to go yeah, kind of a thing. So, yeah. but I noticed that I felt that, um, that's definitely a running part. theme in it though. Especially yeah. when they're crossing the desert mm-hmm. and there's nowhere to go. You either, if you're going to do this, you go, you go. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's that. <laughs> so, uh, so the first thing I noticed that I really liked as far as story was, uh, so Lawrence dies in a motorcycle accident to start the movie. He's going down the winding roads of like the English countryside yep. or whatever, and he he crashes and dies. Mm-hmm. So obviously, okay, this guy's reckless. That they're okay. They're trying to like say, oh, this guy's just a reckless mm-hmm. character. And then at his funeral, uh, you don't know it at the time that you're watching it, but it's people throughout the story that this uh, that Lawrence has interacted with, and then this reporter's asking like, hey, I, I heard you served with Lawrence in the war. What was he like? And one guy's like, he was an amazing person. Uh, you know wonderful officer great leader and he uh and then uh when they leave he's like and he's also like a like a, a, a the, the uh serious exhibitionist. yes yes an uninhibited exhibitionist or whatever mm-hmm. and then one guy even interrupts another guy and says i can't believe you said that about him he's an honorable man yeah i shook i had the privilege of shaking, shaking his, his hand. hand see when i finished the movie i went back and watched that beginning scene because i wanted to see who was saying those things yes because now that i knew who those characters were i was like oh, okay yes I, all right but it sets it up so that you so that you as an audience are thinking, well, what is he? Yeah. Is he a good person? Is he is he a good yep. guy? I thought I thought they did perfect setting that up. So then you you figure it out as an audience. What do you think of the guy as you're watching the movie? Yeah. And what do you think of the guy? That's the thing, Jay. I don't know. And that's I was confused. And the movie kind of ended like I was like, it just ended. Yeah, the movie but, doesn't it does a very good job of just presenting this guy as a guy. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest. Like when I, when I was watching the whole movie, I was watching it. I was like, ah, oh, nice, pretty shots. There was nothing really like hitting me emotionally there. Even throughout the whole movie, it was just, there was nothing really emotional there, except when he went back, um, when he had to execute, uh, the person that he saved. Yeah. And, um, he was back at the British headquarters and he's like, no, I don't want to go out there. And they're like, why? He's like, well, I had to uh, execute somebody. And they're like, well, yeah, it's just one of the things that you got to do. You got to get over it. And he said, well, no, I liked it. Yeah. And I was like, that I did not expect him to say that. Yeah. Um. But then then he gets bloodthirsty. He get, I mean, he's kind of kind of an asshole but yeah the i i didn't really know i mean was he a hero like was i mean was that the whole i don't I mean, think that they could resolve have been the, it i think that could have been the i mean that was probably the whole point of the movie is like yeah. all these people at our funeral have all these different opinions of this person you have one person who's like oh he's a great man i had the privilege of shaking his hand who knew him from shit yeah didn't know him at all the reporter you have the reporter saying oh he's a he's a very strong intelligent person but yeah. he was a severe exhibitionist mm-hmm. um was with him saw him at his lowest after he slaughtered the turks yeah and then um you have uh then you had some of his uh, officer pals or acquaintances that was like well i worked with him didn't really know him but he was he was effective in yeah. what he did yeah um you could see that too to where it's all based on just perception to yeah. where yeah history will probably 
look at him in a positive light because he helped. Yeah. Um, but what he did to get there, I mean, it's just one of those. Um, I feel like that that could have just been one of the themes that they just wanted to present. Present that. Uh, yeah, I. Th- it, you're right, and at the end of the movie, I was thinking the same thing. Like, I I don't know what to think of this guy because he's like an, a weird, like schizophrenic weirdo. Like he like he wants to be. So he he initially goes off. He's he's assigned. He has mm-hmm. all these great ideas. He talks to Prince Fossil. Which, by the way, I wrote here, which is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Alec Guinness as an Arabian prince. I'll allow it due to the times. Yeah. <laughs> which uh, Omar Sharif playing Sharif Ali. Yeah. They actually got an Egyptian. Yeah. Actor, and I was like, all right, there you go. By the way, I'm going to say Omar Sharif was probably the best actor in the movie. Uh, I, I have sure. that written down. Um, yeah. Favorite? Yep. Yep. He's my favorite actor. Favorite uh, character. Yeah. Uh, I agree. In there. Um. Here. Here's why I think he was. It's speak. And here's why this movie kind of is a notch down. Why I don't think it's like a, I, I do think it's really great. It's a great, wonderful movie, great mm-hmm. movie. But the acting and it's 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 just a victim of the times. Every like Peter O'Toole, Anthony Quinn, Alec Guinness, Alec, but Alec Guinness not so much. But they're all stage actors. Mm-hmm. They they don't really perfect the subtlety of like movie acting. Correct. You don't need to be so boisterous in your mm-hmm. body language and like turn your head all sharply and just let it play mm-hmm. but they don't know how to act any other way yeah they're, they're classically trained they're actors. classically trained actors yep. right and it just it kind of distracts a little bit but i think omar sharif doesn't do that as much mm-hmm. and he bounces it out well so when he's in a scene i love those because he's way better i think than the other people are yeah. he bounces it out i like his character too because when you first meet him he shoots lawrence's guide and lawrence is just offended yes he's but they eventually become best friends yeah um but their characters change they turn into each other what they were they flop they yeah flip-flop and yeah. to where you have um lawrence lawrence just being well no prisoners happens. yeah no prisoners. no prisoners and then during that same scene you have Sharif Ali just going like, "What oh, is God wrong with you?" Oh God! And like you could just tell yeah. he didn't want to do it, and he's like, oh, "He's like, yeah. I gotta. Yeah, everyone else is going. I gotta go." Yeah. Um. But then at the end, he says, "I'm gonna be a politician." Yeah. He's like, "I'm gonna use words." Yep. And conversation to change the course of future events, not fighting, yep. which is complete 180. So you have a nice arc for him. Yeah. You have uh, Lawrence who goes from a very timid. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a map artist um, all the way to you got to do what you got to do to kind of craving adventure or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Omar Sharif. <clears throat> fantastic. He, yeah. he was my favorite. Um, I thought he did the best out of anybody in them. I agree. Yeah, he was he was mine as well. Yeah, that's why that's why his well, T. Lawrence's character was. You're right. He started off as like a like a very. uh, uh he was excited to go and and had all these great ideas. He meets Prince Fossil mm-hmm. and he's, you know, Prince Fossil's camp is under attack by the Turks and they're about to surrender. And he's like, what you need to do is you need to go take this Aqaba city. And it's a Turk stronghold and come from the desert. Surprise them. They're not going to, they're not going to see it coming. Yep. Just give me 50 guys. We'll, we'll change the, the, the course, the trajectory of this revolt. Just mm-hmm. trust me. 
So he has good intentions of, you know, we're going to, I want to make these people believe that there's still, they still have some fight in them. Yeah. And there's great scene of them trekking through the desert. Like you said, one guy gets lost. Lawrence earns their trust because he goes back to save the guy. Mm -hmm. Then everyone's after he comes back, he's like, ah, this guy is, this guy, when he says something, he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. And he's going to, no and one he's believes doing it for him. them. He's telling them he's doing it for yeah. them, not for the Brit. Cause he, he goes against uh, orders when he first meets Prince that, no, I'm going to do this for you guys. Yeah. He's like, I don't, he's like, yeah, I, I work for the British. We're, we, we don't want, we want you guys to maintain your independence. We don't want anything with your territory. Yeah. He didn't know any better, but yeah. um, I think he was just telling him what he wanted them, what he thought they wanted to hear. Not necessarily. I think he knew deep down that like, I, I'm, I'm okay, telling so him, you I'm think telling he, him, that he, okay. I'm telling, because there, there's a great line at the very beginning where he has that, that match trick. Mm -hmm. And he's and he, right before he goes off and he's, he puts it out with his thumb Yep. and he, it's not even an, an illusion. He's just, he, he's like, how did you do that? Like the officer's like, how did you even do that? Like it, it, like it hurts. Like, like I just tried it. And he's, and he says, which is a great line. The trick is not minding. It hurts. So that line is like this guy. So he's intentionally making these people think that he's doing something magical when in reality he knows that, uh, behind the scenes like there's there's some reality here that these guys don't know about okay. right now and yeah and now that you bring that line up that makes me wonder if he was just always that person mm -hmm. so when he's like the trick is not minding it hurts when he says no he doesn't want to do it mm -hmm. he's going to slaughter some people like it's going to be it's he he knows that that's the turning point of his character it's the point of no return i yeah. i would even argue that uh the point that like you said that the one scene where you were emotional where that you had some emotional heft was when he had to execute the guy that he just saved mm -hmm. he just saved but he well, knew and he said he enjoyed it right and he said he enjoyed it which makes me think is it a control thing for him because yeah he goes to get that guy he saves him because everyone tells him not to mm -hmm. like don't he's already dead it's written ah i see what you're saying here go on and he's like what yeah. so he goes back picks him up, saves him, brings it back. And he says, it's not written. Uh-huh. So I made a note to where mm. I was like, he enjoys the execution. Is it because he enjoys the control writing uh, his own destiny? Ah, yeah. And so that's kind of what I got out of his character, because again, I'm making these notes. Didn't know it was a true story. So yeah. I have, here's uh, some, current culture for you guys to where i made a note um uh the get the gazim uh rescue i was like thank god for the blonde blue-eyed savior reason for uh i was like is there a reason for the obvious blonde hair blue-eyed guy i was like could you get anybody that was more white um so well, there's even a line in there that says your eyes are blue yeah yeah part of it was control i was like i wonder if it was a, a control thing that he enjoyed yeah. doing what he was doing the other thing um i felt at least early on i felt a little cool hand lukish mm. from him meaning eh, i don't really have a plan it's just kind of like that eh, seems like a good idea at the time Loosey goosey so he's like he's doing his map stuff and he's like mm, this is kind of a, a boring room to be in isn't it yeah and like oh we want you to go here he's like okay goes there and he's like Hmm. Then he's chilling in the desert in the night or whatever. And he's like shivering for some reason. He's like, Let's go attack the city. Okay. <laughs> and it's kind of like, it, 
not like a Forrest Gump kind of like falling yeah, yeah, into yeah. shit. Obviously, he was intelligent, but to where I, I was kind of getting that sense, at least at the beginning, uh, not so much at the end. Um, but I was questioning why he was, was he just doing it for duty? Was he doing it for, I mean, what was the higher purpose of him wanting to do that? Was he wanting to help the Arab tribes kind of uh, combine? And I think now that we're talking about it, I think a little bit of both, but I think the main majority of his motivation was selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I think he cared about the people, obviously. He cared about the Arab people, but I think he cared more about, like you said, uh, painting his own portrait. Yeah. There's even a line in here where they ask, you know, it's the journalist, I think. I even wrote it down here where uh, the journalist says, what do you like about the desert? And he says, it's clean. And towards the end when they're they take damascus and they're in that giant room and they're trying to figure out all the utilities who's taking Mm -hmm. control of what and um uh i can't remember anthony quinn's character's name it's like abdu abdu auda abu tile right jesus adu abu tai 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 and he says to lawrence like there is only the desert for you I'm like, oh, that's perfect. He's because the desert, it's desolate. It's mm-hmm. a blank canvas. Like Lauren said, it's clean. He can project anything that he wants onto it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what he projects onto it. He projects himself onto it. So yeah, although I think he cares about the people, I think he mainly cares about his own ambitions and his own motivations mm-hmm. and his own sense of adventure. And I don't think he was expecting his sense of adventure. And his motivation to take him to like the depths of executing somebody and then mm-hmm. like massacring a whole horde of people and then liking it and then liking it. Yeah. You know That's what I mean? Point. Yeah. Yeah. I said, uh, and Lawrence doesn't know what he wants. This is as I was watching it. I was like lacking conviction. I still don't know what his motivation is. Yeah. He said he liked killing and then he's horrified with himself when massacring the horde at the end. I, I, I need to know what this guy's motivation is. That's exactly what I wrote down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's the answer. Maybe he does. Maybe, maybe he's going with the flow. Could be. Well, I yeah. mean, I, I like the I like what you brought up his sense of adventure. Yeah. To where he just he wanted an adventure, even from the very first time you see him. You well, you see him riding the motorcycle. Yeah. Falls out on it. Now here's the other thing. At the end of the movie. Yeah. When he's going home. They bookended that pretty well. <laughs> a motorcycle passes the car. <laughs> exactly. Do you Leaves think him he, in the dust? Do you think that's why he rode the motorcycle in England? I think so. He just kind of. Yep. Uh, we're waving our fingers in front yeah, of Yeah, sorry. Fingers. If you, you guys can see this. Yeah, we're <laughs> just kind of puts, puts the visors on. Imagine he's back in the desert. Yeah. Or at least kind of I didn't trying think to get about, some kind of semblance of excitement I didn't back th- in his life. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. But you're yeah, that makes sense. Um, I like the foreshadowing, the, you know, danger ahead, sharp turns. Like, OK. Nope. Yeah. It's a good nice. It's a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I, some miscellaneous stuff here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I talked about that. I said O'Toole is so non-masculine. His run and his salute made me laugh out loud. <laughs> the way he stands. Yes. So I w- I wanted to touch on that as well. I have um dated portrayal could be yeah caring be. compassionate yeah. Rare today is people would read that as gay. Yeah. Uh, or homosexual. 
uh, comforting his servant Mm -hmm. as a friend as his friend dies in the sand. So him covering his eyes, him uh, kind of embracing his servants. um, And this is, I believe, after he was captured and stripped. His friend died in the sand? Yeah, I think that was after yeah it was so he was lawrence was captured and the um oh not fellini uh the turkish held city yeah uh which just goes back to your your point about he doesn't even know what he's just seeking adventure he's like i'm just gonna go in there and stick it out in there and he's like yeah we'll go in there gets captured uh but there's a scene in there and they take off the shirt and the guy like pinches his nipple yeah he's like oh you're isolated like, yeah. don't you feel like you're isolated? And he kind of he's like, oh, your skin is very fair. Like, and then they close up on the lips before he attacks them. Yeah. I saw that and I I was like, was he hitting on him? I think so. And I was like, this is 1962. Yeah. Would they put that in there? After the movie wrapped, there has been some debate as far as T.E. Lawrence being homosexual. See, I haven't gotten that deep into it. And, but that, because I didn't know, I was like, am I just reading into things? Because that's why I put down dated portrayal to where right. now you have to be overly aggressive. You have sure. to be overly masculine yeah. because, and if you have a friend on screen, that's the same sex, you, you got to have a girl in there somewhere like titties yeah. and beer. That's like, right. Hey, Hey guys, no homo. Yeah, that's uh, right. We're not gay. So <laughs> we're, we're men. Yeah. And but back then to where I didn't know if it was just dated portrayal, like, like he, like he, that's just how caring people are. Yeah. Kind of a thing. That's how, who he was as a person or something like that. Yeah. But there apparently was some kind of debate among historians that he was possibly uh homosexual or asexual. Okay. And however, looking more, but that was a purpose for David lean, at least according to an interview is that he wanted to have that kind of ambiguous, Thing that he tried to suppress mm. um have it be one of the themes throughout his movie which the only time i really picked it up was during that captured scene when they did the close-up of the lips yeah and then uh lawrence punched him in the stomach and then they whipped him in the they back him, yeah but then the guy's like in the back room kind of like staring at him yeah. as he's getting with the shirt open yeah, and i'm yeah. like am i reading too much into this i don't this, think you are this looks no. a little that's what i was thinking too a little suspect but yeah um so i i took that note down but um if I, i'm glad i saw that afterwards to where it kind of solidified okay I, something i don't know if that scene in particular was part of david lean's intention but i did notice that i was like he he feels a little bit more maternal i guess in some of the scenes yeah um or i mean i guess fatherly love or something like just more compassionate more um more so than everybody else i know what you're, i know what you're yeah. saying yeah yeah because there's not there's no women in the movie yeah no oh it's all which, guys I, I think i had a note there so good which to be fair most movies about war there are no women in the movie true yeah um and i remember before this podcast started you were telling me because of the no speaking roles for women this is the best <laughs> movie that ever was made wait what and- <laughs> Hold on, I did not say that. But I, I, I did notice that watch. I was like, I don't see. I mean, I think the only women I saw were they were killed. 
or something. One of the scenes, like you're right, yeah, right before they murdered the horde, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right, yeah, because they come across the city that the Turks had massacred, massacred, yeah. and then right before the no prisoner scene, yep. But um, which is which is fine. I'm glad if if it, if the movie was made today there would be a woman character that would fall in love with the main character and there'd be some kind of sexual tension. No, fuck that. Uh, just from what I've seen, the production was not very nice. Of course, <laughs> I mean, I guess it took a long time to make this movie. Oh yeah. So I Over think like almost 300 days of shooting. Yeah. Like what, yeah, one of the trivia is with it. The real T Lawrence went from Lieutenant or yeah, Lieutenant to Colonel yep. to major lieutenant to major to colonel okay yeah yeah sorry and oh no you're fine in less time than it took him to shoot this movie (laughs) so (laughs) that's an awesome bit of trivia um, there damn but yeah so i guess i mean there's been some things to where peter o'toole and david lean didn't get along um but uh peter o'toole and omar sharif became like best friends right um i think they both got arrested together in like new york city nice like <laughs> hanging out with lenny bruce or whatever yeah, lenny yeah. Bruce, uh was doing drugs or whatever but <laughs> um but yeah so i mean they were like uh best of friends but um but yeah other than that i guess i guess it wasn't uh i guess david lean had a reputation for making people uneasy on set hmm. being just like very uh demanding and everything else not having a very laid back yeah i would think you'd have to experience. have that attitude to make a movie like that though yeah have i mean i can't imagine the amount of stress that Dude, i would lose fuck, my mind yeah fucking lose my mind i couldn't imagine how oh just all the people involved and logistically just the not even the, worrying about the storyline are you getting the performances out of the actors and mm-hmm. yada 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 but just all the logistics would just be awful there was a thing i wrote down skin color and the effect of life choices and i brought that up because it was after that scene to where he was whipped mm-hmm. on the chair when he was in the turk city and the guy brought up his, your skin is very fair yeah after he left there he was kind of not catatonic but just in a trance to where i don't know it was probably supposed to be his ptsd period um but he then brought up to i believe it was uh it was I think it was Sharif that he said he wanted to go back. He wanted to go back to British headquarters. Yeah. He didn't want to have anything to do with this again. Yeah. I don't know if just because it got too real, but he said something along the lines of I'm light skinned. I'm, I'm not like, yeah, you. I remember that scene. Yeah. He's like, I will never want this. Yes. He's like, I don't want this. You do, which I thought was like a weird way to go about it. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand the purpose there. Um, but that that stood out to me because he said that, and that was about the time I I watched this movie in two sittings. Um, mm-hmm. I watched it up until right past the tortures the torture <laughs> scene, and then I started again the next morning. Uh, but I rewound it, so I saw that line twice, and I saw that whole scene twice. Um, so I don't know if I just it, I picked up on it because I saw it twice, but. Uh, that was something that he he brought up. Uh, oh, skin color. Like, I what does like, that have to do with it? Yeah, what does that have to do with that? I feel like there could have been a better way. And this is more like the the things that I thought was a little. Eh. It's all right. We're just um, talking shit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the, talking uh, shit. <laughs> um, but I thought it was they could have done a better way to where I think 
whether it be out of fear, because he goes back to British headquarters, like, nope, not doing it, not do- not going again. And it was like three seconds later, he talks to the general and he's like, oh, OK, I'm going back. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Like, right. why? I was like, I felt like he is. Yeah, we touched on a little bit earlier. His motivations weren't exactly clear. Right. Like, why did you want to stop? Right after that. Right after that. And why did you want to go back so quickly? Right. Um, that I thought could have been handled a little bit differently. Well, now that I think about it, you're right. Because before uh, the torture scene, he so he murdered the guy that he just uh, saved from the desert. Mm-hmm. Like, that's pretty horrifying. Yeah. Uh, they raided Akaba. Lots of people died. He's a part of that. So he's been a part of horrifying things mm-hmm. where people have died. And he never wanted to leave back to, you know, Britain or back to back to the uh, uh, encampment in, in Egypt or wherever they were, wherever they were stationed. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he gets tortured and he has that, I don't know, the s- sexual encounter, you, you should you, mm-hmm. you might even yeah, say the, the peck, the peck. Yeah, the peck squeeze. where he gets, you know, very angry about it. And then he instantly wants to leave. So I don't know if there's some sort of subtle below yeah. below the you know some sort of subcontext that and that could be it too to where yeah. I don't in know in that situation maybe he is too comfortable yeah maybe and wanted to I don't know um, maybe I'm just reading too much into it and it was just a screenplay flaw. <laughs> they didn't really iron out yet. They're, like, been too, they're like, I mean, holy shit, we've been shooting this for 300 days. We've got to wrap this shit like, up. <laughs> we don't know why he flip-flops that much. Ah, fuck it. We, we <laughs> exactly. Three and a half hours. Hey, we still got to, yeah, we got a bunch of horses over here. Fuck, we got to <laughs> move these cameras. <laughs> these horses are shitting everywhere. <laughs> There's so much shit. Um, I got 300 guys here with shovels. <laughs> Paying them by the hour. The uh, <laughs> Something I wanted to touch on something that I felt was rushed to after they get to Damascus. I thought there was going to be a thing to where, because they, they showed the general, the general arrives with his crew and the general says, Oh, where's Lawrence? He's like, Oh, he's been here for like two days. He's like, what? He's like, yeah, they took over the city. I thought that was going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. And to where, I didn't know if they were going to do like a Donnie Brasco thing to where he's too far in. Right. And you got to pull him out. Yeah. They're like, all right, we got to get him out of there yeah, because yeah. he's running this he's, whole fucking crew. Yeah. And um, before it gets too out of hand, yeah. which kind of. I don't know. I wonder if like if I look at it from that standpoint, watch it again to where, OK, we're going to send this intelligent person. He's going to try and do some stuff for us. Kind of. uh like combine the the power of the different um, Arabic tribes and yeah. kind of push the Turks away. Yeah. But in doing that, he becomes so ingrained in his own sense of power um, by the end that he's a serious threat <laughs> right. to the British military. Right. You can't pull him out. Yeah. yeah. And um, which maybe, maybe that was the whole point of the fucking thing too. I, but, um, but I felt like it was resolved rather quickly. Like they were there they had that huge, they took over the, the city council or whatever uh, building and uh, they were talking about the power plant and everything else. Yeah. And it was like later that day, oh, we're all leaving. Yeah. And then it's just like him in the room. And I, I made a note, I was like the downfall of hubris. Like, was it was it his power or was he just so entrenched in that culture? And 
that sense of importance to where he lost sight of what he was actually supposed to be doing. Yeah. There's, well, there's that. And then there's always the, the dilemma of once you reach your goal and all you've lived for the past year or so was trying to achieve the goal and Mm -hmm. you've had purpose. And now that your purpose is achieved, what do you do next? There is kind of just like, well, you go back to normal, go back home. That sucks. I know it's done. (laughs) It's done. Which, I mean, yeah, I think I think the movie bookends well. He's he's like, I enjoy this. I need I need some excitement, excitement, mm-hmm. some purpose. I'm just sitting here in the countryside, just I kind of want to watch it again away. now, just because if just watching it in the same, in the sense of it's a story of a guy mm-hmm. who's a lieutenant that gets told to do something, and he just gets get caught. Gets up, caught in the whirlwind, which they showed. Yeah, a little whirlwind, bunch of whirlwinds. Hmm. Yeah, I think we cracked it. I think we did. God, we're retarded. <laughs> we're so deep, so fucking deep. But I kind of want to watch it and just that have that Donnie Brasco sense to where they yeah. sent somebody to try and uh, recruit and kind of yeah. pull together these different tribes and help them out a little bit. Yeah, and it just got out of hand. Got out of hand. Yeah, that's right. He was. He was. Yeah. Be- that that makes me a because. <clears throat> I, I mean, with these older movies, they don't flat out tell it because because we're younger, we're dumb. Yeah. And so in movies now, they hit you over the head with everything to where yes. a lot more people were reading books back then to where subtlety, not so much in the acting, but subtlety just as far as the message. Yes. Could have could be accomplished very easily. Yep. To where now it would just people would miss it because of all different experiences and everything mm-hmm. else. But um that's another reason why I do like this movie, though. Mm-hmm. It's because they don't beat you over the head with what the movie's about. It's subtle. Yeah, you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Which they don't nowadays. It's I was just watching Halloween Kills the other month. Yeah, and for forty. By the years. way, I, yes, I'm talking. I'm referencing Halloween Kills. <laughs> for forty about, years. <laughs> yeah, evil dies tonight. And there's a scene in that movie where I instantly just like, all right, I hate this movie because they're making the care. They think the audience is stupid. Mm-hmm where they overrun the hospital and it's a giant mob. They're chasing after the wrong guy. The, the guy jumps from the top of the hospital, kills himself. They thought it was Michael Myers. It wasn't. The sheriff immediately after like this poor guy's brains are spilt on the pavement goes, he's turning us into monsters. We're now becoming him. And I immediately just like, yeah, I know. You don't have to tell me that. It's evident in what just happened. And not once in Lawrence of Arabia does that ever happen, mm-hmm. which is why but, hey, anyone making movies nowadays, don't, don't, don't think that your audience is just, you know, dumb. Yeah. Most people aren't as dumb as... <laughs> now, we're, now we're becoming the monsters that we're blaming. You know, you don't have to do that. Yeah. You don't have to do it. But yeah. Overall, I mean, the, the screenplay was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, the production design, the production value itself was so epic. Uh, well directed, obviously. The acting, again, the only the, the, if I could shit on it or give it any slight, it would be that, you know, I'm not a big fan of like just bombastic acting. But again, it's just that it was made in 1962. Yeah. And so that's it was a style. It was a style it was back before then. the uh, 
like 60s were like the last decade of that yeah to wear that over the top and then it wasn't until the 70s you had the long the more like the method acting like the yeah you, you had the people that I mean, well you had the new age of cinema coming through yeah. so a lot more realistic portrayals and stuff like that yeah. which i mean back then you still had re, i mean it, some actors were just better at that like jimmy stewart was yeah. really good at natural acting and stuff like that that's so, right yeah um yeah. But it is a uh, it's a it's a transition to going from theater to I mean Peter Tool had done other movies at the time but mm-hmm. um, but yeah it, it is a different thing you did have a lot of that yeah hamming up kind of stuff yeah but I that's the only like criticism I really have of it overall I think it was just awesome mm-hmm. I yeah. would love to see it in IMAX yeah I think it, yeah I mean I it really good the score. Oh man, I thought it was very well done. Yeah, uh, I mean, you had the different, you had you had the score for the desert, you had the score mm-hmm. for uh, the British officer, like yeah. when you're British headquarters, like the embassy, yeah, yeah. and um, like it just it went back and forth very very well, um, and complimented it. I know how to ride a camel, which is awesome. So it's when a, like I, I remember it's a very like, manly way to ride a camel at the very <laughs> at the very beginning of the movie, they say, oh, yeah, just you put your, your right leg over and then you you put your left leg over your right leg and you just kind of like sit yep. in a weird thing. And that's how you ride a camel. And I was sitting there watching. I was like, man, yeah, if I ever have to ride a camel, that's how I'm going to ride it. And then <laughs> it was during that train sequence when the reporter was coming up. And I believe he was riding camel, but he was riding it like a horse. And I was watching, I was sitting there. I was like, oh, look at this fucking asshole. <laughs> doesn't know how to ride a, cam- know how to ride a goddamn camel. <laughs> what, do you think he's on a horse? <laughs> what a dumbass. What, what an asshole. <laughs> That's right. That's funny. I was looking, I was like, is that how you ride a camel? I was literally th- thinking that, watching that movie. And then I saw the guy who was riding like a horse. Like, okay, you can do it both ways. Here, I don't know. No, you can't. There's you only can't. one proper way. <laughs> Yeah, which uh, slight trivia, uh, the train scene where the train gets derailed Mm -hmm. during location scouting. uh, I think David Lean actually came across that real location because the train was still there. No shit. Yeah. And um, I believe it was in Jordan, but the train didn't have any kind of rust on it whatsoever because it was just sitting in the sun for. Really? Since since a happy yeah, for 40 yeah, 40 50. Yeah, there years. wouldn't be any rust on it. No. There's no water around. Well, that's pretty cool. So he just Yeah, it just came across happenstance. Like, yeah, the actual the train was still there. No um, shit. That's pretty cool. Yep. Save some money on the production budget there. Mhm. Cool. And I was uh after watching it I I I definitely went on some of the extra features. Yeah. Cuz I bought it on iTunes and I I there was like a 9 minute interview with Steven Spielberg. Really? And he was involved with the restoration of the movie in 89. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got to talk to David Lean and he was thinking like a director, like, so what did you do? He's like, I noticed during these scenes, like all the horse footprints and camel footprints in the sand. So what did you do for second takes? He didn't get it. And he goes, well, you had to wait. You had to wait a day until the sand that I didn't make a note of it, but I remember <laughs> seeing that to where every time someone would walk off in the sand, I was seeing the tracks and I was like, I wonder if they brushed it or yeah, like, what did they do? You do that? But yeah, if they just let the wind blow. Well, uh, well, when you have 
250, 300 horses. You can't just brush it. Mm-hmm. And you're going over acres and acres of land. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, let's go shoot some other scenes, interior scenes. <laughs> We're going to have to do this again tomorrow. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, yeah. For AFI's top 100, it is listed at number seven. This wow. is after Gone with the Wind at number six and before Schindler's List at number eight. Wow. Number five is Singing in the Rain. Four is Raging Bull. Three, Casablanca. Two, Godfather. And one, Citizen Kane. Do you think it belongs at number seven? So am I judging this list based off historical cinematic influence the, or am I just... The AFI list you are judging off historic semantic cinematic significance all right so if i'm in those shoes yes it should be just the epic scale of this thing is is unmatched yeah i would say i'm yeah with all the movies yeah i mean just from that i mean just the effort yes to put that movie together yes i think is strong because all those movies before one through six matte paintings galore yeah and or movie sets all this was i mean you had the british embassy but i mean yeah most of this was just location shooting yeah in the desert and i i don't think uh like i'm thinking of old school movies with giant production value like like elizabeth with uh sorry elizabeth hurley cleopatra i'm sorry okay like i know that movie was very expensive a lot of costume designs but it wasn't like yeah like 10 commandments and like yes. ben hur and like stuff like that but like those movies i haven't seen ben hur uh i don't think it was like a 4 hour movie on location i think it was a lot of sets mm-hmm. i don't think it yeah, was like inside yes i know that the the horse racing scene is very iconic mm-hmm. and it was a un, like a unmatched action scene at the time which i think it, i think ben hur is actually on that list the top 100 it might be like 100 or something but I can't think of a movie right now that is this Number epic. 100. That's this epic in terms of just location yeah, and, and scale. all the extras. And they, did they just go to Jordan? Like they just went to Jordan. I'm like, yeah, we're going to Jordan. We're shooting in Jordan for 300 days. You can't do that now. Yeah. You're not going to do that. Yeah. That, what actor would be like, I can't wait to go to Jordan for 300 days and be in mm-hmm. the hot sun. And well, they originally wanted Marlon Brando for Peter O'Toole's role. But he turned it down because he was going to have to sign a seven-year contract ah, to be in this movie. Okay, and he didn't want to do that. So Peter O'Toole, which this was, I think, probably his breakout thing, was like, yeah, "I'll sign it." Right. There okay. There he, is, there he but, goes. Um, what do you think, Jay? Do you think it should be in the? Yeah. Top. 10? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're seeing it through the lens of historical, like significance yeah. and stuff like that i mean just and just sheer magnitude of effort that was required and it's still coming out good yeah i mean it's i mean the characters are there there's character growth there's i mean it's not there's a lot of walking um mm-hmm. but you're taking in by the scenery though yeah i mean oh, it's yeah. You, you see how large the area is. It gives you this sense of distance. And mm-hmm. the now one thing I will say, it maybe didn't give you like a sense of time. I felt it was missed on the sense of time to where if someone said, oh, this took this place of this, this span like six years. I'm like, yeah, I can probably see that. Yeah. 
but it didn't. It was like two years. Yeah. Or but still, it like it gave you a sense that okay, this this was a very long uh, period of time. Um, I didn't get the sense of two years. I, I kind of got the sense maybe longer. Yeah, I did too. Um, just because I didn't um, like they would talk about weeks or days before they can get to a camp or something yes. like that. But then sometimes so it would go quick. Yep. And then other times it kind of seemed to take yep. take longer. But like he would go from being captured in prison in a Turkish like held city and then he'd be in the embassy in the next scene. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, you got there like the embassy is like 800 miles to the west. Yep. <laughs> it's going to take him some time to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's the only thing is like the sense of time. Uh, I think. But no, I mean. Top 100. Yeah, yeah. I want it. Uh, I wouldn't say no, but yeah, just just for the sheer sense of scale. Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I think it deserves to be on there. Um, just with us talking about it, I kind of want to watch Lawrence of Arabia coming from that. Yeah. Because they, they make mention, he's like, oh, is, is he gone native? Yeah. And watching it in that sense, like, oh, you're you're going to see a guy just lose yeah. himself as a person. And yep. see that that kind of growth or whatever. Yeah. Um it, it wouldn't be boring to watch it again because now that you talk about it, you dissect it a little bit, mm-hmm. you're going to view it in a different light. Yeah. Like, okay, you know. And you know the characters, you know the... Exactly. And then you can you can pick up on subtleties maybe that mm-hmm. you didn't pick up on because you it's a four-hour movie. You're, yeah. you're watching for the first time. You're, all you're trying to do basically is, okay, what are they doing right now? What's the, what's the motivation behind it? You just It's like the, the very primal you know, motivations. You're not getting down to the nitty gritty of the details of every little constructed scene or anything. Yeah. And yeah, I'd I'd probably have to buy it. I wish (laughs) it's it's not on criterion. So I know that, but I got to find a publisher that has a lot of bonus features on there. Um, because I refuse to go digital. Well, but yeah, until I can digitize my collection. (laughs) I just don't want to have to buy all my shit again. I know. I feel, I feel you like, I feel like a dumbass every time I buy an iTunes movie. I'm like, I have that. I have it. And Blu-ray. Why did I just buy that? I do it all the time. Convenience. Convenience, huh? Yeah. Click it I, on. Uh, listeners, uh, yeah, we're talking to you. <laughs> one, The one person listening to this. If you know how to create a product where I could put in a Blu-ray or a DVD, Ooh. extract that information, but it puts it into a file or an interface where I have bonus features. Mm. I, I have title animations for the menus. I Ooh. have all that. So pretty much all the good stuff digitized Blu-ray right. on, but I can just put in my movies I already own and have it on a server and then add more to it. Mm. Get on that. Yeah. Get on that and tell Jay. Yeah, sell to now. me for $5. <laughs> <laughs> I want my five dollars, <laughs> but no, I think I think it. Uh, I like it on there. I kind of want to watch it. I, I gotta, I gotta buy it. Uh, I rented I tell it on you Amazon. What, so if it does come out on IMAX or if it's released on a big screen again, I would go watch it again. Yeah. I would watch it. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, whenever that does happen. I think it's good. Slightly dated in some spots, but I don't. I don't even notice it really. God, you get over it pretty quick. I mean, just it's it's cool to see. A movie of that, that again the scale is just you're just not going to see it's not they're not going to make a movie like yeah. that again it's not going to and it's sad it's sad it makes you bummed i mean christopher you, christopher nolan's probably the closest one like that dunkirk kinda, yeah that kind of does thing. that giant yes. scale um 
but even Dunkirk's not like Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. That's like it's pretty incredible, yeah. honestly. Now that I think about it, mm-hmm. you just it's never gonna happen again. Yeah. Top two fifty, IMDb. It is listed at ninety four. Right behind Citizen Kane at 93. Ah. Do I think it deserves to be at 94? Or do I think it deserves to be in the top 50? Yeah, 94 or top 50. 250, sorry. Oh, top two. Uh, I, I mean, would say I would say Lawrence of Arabia is one in my top 250 favorite movies. Yeah. I could say it makes that list. Yeah. I don't know about 94. That's pretty yeah. high yeah. up there, but. Uh, just re- is it rewatchable like right away? No. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Like, are you no. judging it based on technical merit, or are you judging it based on watchability? Because- you know, and I'm kind of in the moment talking about it, where I'm like, "All right, yeah, the screenplay is better than I thought." You know, talking to you through it, like the characters developed well. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I have a critique on is the acting, but I can get past that. Everything else is good. Yeah. I mean. If a movie is rewatchable, does that increase? I mean, this is kind of going into a different subject as far as sure. how you rank movies, but there are some people I know and that I've spoken with, and it's probably more common than I realize, but some people don't. Once they watch a movie, they don't watch it again. Yeah. Um, so rewatchability, I feel like, is only for, I guess, more people who enjoy watching movies. That's true. Uh, to begin with. Um, but it's a big it's a big criteria for me for my favorite like I have to want to rewatch it again. Mm-hmm. Like, like one thing that comes to mind is Jurassic Park. Yep. Like it's one of my favorite. It always will be because I can rewatch it right now. Mm-hmm. It's just exciting. It's a good movie. Yeah. I feel like a movie has to make me feel something. Yeah. I mean, for me to have it as like one of my favorite is it my top twenty or twenty five of my personal favorite? Probably not. Nah, me either. Um. But just because that that's the sense of I need to feel something, whether yeah. like joy or like, you know, sadness. We, I mean, it's, and we didn't grow up with it. There's no nostalgia yeah. factor. Yeah, with Florence of the Arabia. Yeah, we're looking at this from with fresh eyes. Yeah. But I understand why it's so influential and why mm-hmm. it's so revered. I yeah. get it. And I could see a lot of like Spielberg era. Oh, yeah. Directors. I mean, they were growing. They grew were up with 10. It. Like, I had nostalgia for it. They probably saw it and were like, probably 10 or 12. Holy and, shit. Mm-hmm. It was probably their Jurassic Park. Exactly. The first time you see T-Rex and Jurassic their Park. Their Star Wars or something. Right. To where... Yeah. Nope. Yeah. So. I get it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I just didn't, the emotional connection wasn't, wasn't there, there for me. Maybe because of the over top, over the top, uh, yeah. acting. <laughs> something wasn't a little wasn't bit real because I, I can watch other like i can watch it's a wonderful life and i'm like oh, god damn that hits every time it does i can watch rear window and i'm like oh shit i love rear that's window gonna, it's gonna happen i know and um it's true so it's not, a good point. not the age of the movie some movies just hit some some yeah don't. that's a good point i appreciate the effort in that but i mean it's just great work yeah it is i mean it could have it could have sucked so hard it could have been a chore to watch this it, fucking thing. And it could have, yeah, it could have been a bunch of, like, they get back from the desert and they're like, oh, God. <laughs> it's like, what did we do? <laughs> exactly. What an awful, awful idea. <laughs> so, all right. Anything more? No, I think we did. I think we dissected it pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Beat the shit out of it. Yeah, we did. Slapped it like Chris Rock. <laughs>
So many memes oh, out of that. What a douche. I know. <laughs> it sucks. Oh, well. Don't meet your heroes. I know. Um, They'll disappoint you every time. Yeah. Well, Jay, what's what's on the docket for next time we, we meet well, and chat, chat up? We will be talking about our top five directors. Hmm. As well as the virtues of not taking yourself too seriously, especially if you make your living dressing up and playing make-believe on camera. <laughs> so, but no, yes. yeah, we'll be talking about our top five uh, directors. Yes. Cool. Lots to talk about. Living there. or dead? Are we do both? Both. Both? Yeah, okay. let's do both. Yeah, because you probably have a couple of directors that are... They're dead. Most of mine are. I don't know, though. I'm, I had to think about it. I haven't really thought about it. Maybe? I don't know. We'll see. Right. Think about it. Cool. Yeah, Jay. All right. Good talk. Yeah. Yep. Talk to you later. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hang up the phone. <laughs> we need to come over the sign off. I know. <laughs> Bye. Uh, Bye. I love you. I love. I love you. I love. I love you. <laughs> love you.